0: That's kind of like the same stuff we preach pardon for the guilty so how do you become guilty say I haven't done anything I've uh, do the best I can I don't lie purposely I don't take anything that don't belong to me do the best I can say my prayers at night um uh, <laughs> How do you become guilty? Well, to do it right, actually you got to search God's word. And God's word is going to tell you that you're guilty. It's going to show you that you have broken God's law. And it doesn't make any difference how simple it was. What you did We're all lawbreakers. And when God made us a rule, he said, The soul that sinneth it shall die. So, if that stands, we're all sinners. Unless God interferes into a life, and changes it, gives them a the love of the truth, and um, convicts the sinner, shows them they're guilty. Now, once you find you're guilty, then you're going to cry for mercy. And you wouldn't cry for mercy if you didn't feel, feel you needed it. So the person that really feels they need mercy, they will cry, the Lord will reveal himself to their heart, and then they'll finish out life. Oh, the troubles just start. That's just the beginning of the tough road ahead. But so what? You have eternal life. You have your sins forgiven. You have God the Father on your side. You have the Son on your side. You have the Holy Spirit on your side. You also have all the promises will be fulfilled, like the new body adopted into God's family, a mansion in New Jerusalem. Hey, all of that because you become a guilty sinner and ask Christ for mercy. Well, this morning we started in Psalm 25, so let's turn there just for a moment. We'll read the two verses again. And we'll see if we can take up where we left off this morning. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Okay, show me, teach me. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, and on thee do I wait all the day. Let's bow our heads Father again. We ask thy blessing upon the reading of thy word, how wonderful, the heart of a king, the most noble king that may have ruled on earth, King David, asking the Lord to show him, to teach him, to lead him. And we ask you that tonight for each and every one of us. Show us, teach us, lead us. We know you love us. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. All right, we were giving you a few scriptures that we said were delicate words of the Bible to describe the change that takes place in a sinner's life. When uh, the veil is taken off of their heart and mind, their understanding opened. There's scriptures that gave us encouragement. We read Acts sixteen fourteen, where we talked about Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened. We went to Ephesians 2 1 and said, uh, You hath he quickened? Who were they? Those that were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 1 13 said, You trusted and you believed. Now here's one we didn't look at and we can look at it tonight. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. And what's. Amazing to me about this scripture is the fact that when our Lord talked to Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, who knew the Old Testament inside, out, upside, and down, and this scripture has always been there, Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, a teacher, didn't mean anything to him, He he didn't recognize it. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six on page 1275. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I'll take away this stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Kind of confusing, some of the words, uh, take your heart out, uh, heart surgery, bypass, whatever, no. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you, And cause you to walk in my statutes. Now that's just like saying you must be born again. You've got to have a new nature. And then God says that new nature is my spirit. I'll put it within you and cause you to be a believer. Cause you to walk. Uh, I, I just think that's such a wonderful scripture. And then when you go to verse 29... I will also save you from all your uncleannesses. Wow, really? Can you forget your uncleanness? No, you can't. I like that the other week or so ago when we had the scripture that God says, I will not remember your sin. <laughs> to me, that's that's the best yet. Uh, verse 31 though, here in Ezekiel. 36 says, then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations now that happens in some degree to everyone that God saves some much suffer much more conviction and much more uh, learning and remembering than others Because there are some people that have lived a moral, clean life. But God's still going to show them that they're guilty and that they need a substitute. Now, there are a few descriptions of God's way with an elect sinner in this life. I said elect, didn't I? Why, Why did I say it? Because when we ask God to show us his ways... And teach us his path, we would like to see where the path starts. Where's the beginning? Well to most people salvation is a hope so, maybe so, could be. It's a situation that has its beginning with them when they make their decision for Christ, or when they join a church, or when they're baptized. That's that's their beginning mark somewhere. It's like waiting for a bus or a streetcar. You stand at the corner with a group of others, the bus pulls up and stops, the door opens and you step into the bus. Now if you had changed your mind just as the bus pulled up and decided to walk, you just didn't get on the bus. And that's the picture of our modern day salvation. I'll be saved if I want to, and if I decide I don't want to, I'll just do it again some other time. Remember, one of the first scriptures that we read today was God's thoughts are not our thoughts and neither are his ways our ways. And that's the difference. Your decision, your will, you see, that is not God's way to save a sinner. So let's look at the path that God uses to make salvation real to a sinner. Psalm 25, verse 20, oh, verse 5. Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Lead me in thy truth. This is referring to God's word, the Bible. How do we know this? Well, the Lord Jesus explained it to us in boxcar-sized letters in John seventeen seventeen. Well, let's take a peek at John seventeen seventeen then. A peek is a lot better than just hearing. John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, if it wasn't for the Word of God, we could never trace the paths of God. But here and there in the Word of God, he places a road sign to mark out the path. So if you've ever been on a trip of any kind, when you leave town and you're in a strange place, boy, you watch those signs carefully to make sure you're going to get where you want to go. So we're going to go and look at a few of the roadside uh, signs that we have in the scriptures. So the first one will be Jeremiah 31.3. Jeremiah 31.3. And on page 1162. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, God's people knows what that means. It means they would have never got saved if it wasn't for God loving them from eternity. And then when we come into our time frame, even though it's thousands of years later, it's this Everlasting or eternal love that draws us to the Lord Jesus—that's who we're drawn to. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee? And then in it said John eight forty-four uh, or six six forty-four. Let me see, John. I think it's eight forty-four. It's John six forty four. John six forty four on page fifteen sixty-six. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So there we have the drawing mentioned in the Old Testament and then our Lord confirming it in the New Testament. That's just one of the little road signs that tells you where the uh, the love of god started where this election started. Uh, we have it in Revelation 13 in verse 8. Revelation 13:8 on page 1822 when we talk about the 13th chapter this has to do with the Antichrist who we don't know who it is yet but he's probably living and he will have a big affair to do in this world before time is over but right in the middle of his chapter in verse 8 it talks about the Lamb's book of life it says the book Of life of the Lamb that's verse 8 now the first part of the verse tells you about somebody worshiping somebody and that's all the people in the world will be worshiping the Antichrist but those all of those their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life and then it tells us that this lamb was slain from the foundation of the world and of course that's referring back into eternity in God's mind, the crucifixion, the whole story of Calvary is absolutely completed and finished in God's mind. He had planned our salvation. It worked out. Now, a lot of people would would think, well, maybe it would happen. Maybe it could, uh, could not happen. Maybe it would fall apart. No, it's absolutely determined by God back in eternity, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the acceptable sacrifice. And that's why he's called the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. All right, let's go to uh, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. on page 1040 verse 6 unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be bound his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace and it goes on in verse 7 but the Jews had their scriptures They knew that this Messiah, according to God's word, was going to be a child born. They did not understand what this meant by the son given. I know that. Back in those days, there was no ultrasound, so there was no way to tell if it was going to be a boy or a girl unless God revealed it to somebody. But here it tells us about the Messiah that was going to be born was going to be a son. This child to be born was going to be a son. So when it did happen, and the Lord Jesus Christ grew up, nobody believed that he was uh, God anyhow. They did not believe their own scriptures. That's to me, just shows you the depravity of the human nature. And these Jews are no worse than any of us and we're possibly worse than a lot of them. But they would not believe God's word. And this Bible is God's word. All right, then we have uh, the first chapter of John, verse 1 and in verse 14. First chapter of John. Remember, this is a signpost now along the way that God draws the sinner. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Shouldn't be anything difficult there, except people wonder what this Word is. Why do they use the word, Word, when they could use somebody's name? Well, it just happens to be that The Lord Jesus Christ is called the incarnate Word, the eternal Word, and the Bible is called the written Word. The two hang together. Then when we go to verse 14, here's your explanation of who the Word is. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word made flesh was the Lord Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. What a great story that is, too. Now, here's a little road sign. I'm going to tell you the reason why. And that's Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 On page 1718 page 1718 verses four and five but when the fullness of the time was come I kind of like that because it's mysterious who in a world would have thought that that was the hour for the Lord Jesus Christ to be born into the world when Israel was in such terrible, terrible condition, when they were totally occupied by the Roman government, uh, their people were miserable, and come to think of it, there, the, the large crowds that followed the Lord Jesus at times must have pointed to the, the fact that there was a great unemployment rate there, uh, when thousands of people could follow him uh, and listen to him preach, there had to be <laughs> a lot of people either missing work or didn't have any. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. So was born of the Virgin Mary. They kept all the little details of the law, According to the purification and what have you, the circumcision of the Lord Jesus on the eighth day. But verse 5 tells you the reason. To redeem them that were under the law. That's you and me. Plus everybody else. That we might receive the adoption of sons. So, another road sign. Fullness of time born under the law to redeem us what a wonderful thought then the whole plan is laid out in Romans 8 verse 28 Romans 8:28 so that's on page 1665 You read it slow and ask the Lord to teach you. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, but you don't stop there at that comma. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Now everyone that the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ are one of these called ones. The calling happens during your lifetime. There's a time in your life when you didn't go to service maybe or didn't read your Bible or didn't even hear about God. And then something happens. Somehow you get a Bible. Somehow you started coming to church to listen. Somehow you read something. Somehow somebody told you. Whatever, it went home to your heart. And you begin to realize that you are in the game of life. And when God shows you you're in a game of life, you've got to play by His rules. He gave the rules for the game, and they're in this book. And it says, except you repent and believe. And repenting means that you come to Christ as a guilty sinner. You come to Christ as a lawbreaker. You can freely come to Him. There's so many invitations in the Bible given to the sinner. Just uh, come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Or just come to me and I won't cast you out. Or the very first chapter of Isaiah that says, uh, come, let us reason together. Now God's saying, you and me to reason? So God says, if your sins be as scarlet, They can be as white as snow. So the problem is, is a man doesn't want to reason with God. Because if you're going to reason with God, you're going to find yourself a needy, helpless, hopeless, vile sinner that needs mercy, that needs salvation. And the very fact that you would reason, the very fact that you would consider, means that God is offering you grace. Grace is held out to you to come to know yourself and to come to know Christ. Uh, Do we read verse 30? No. Uh, Verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, you and I know English good enough to see that all of this is in the past tense. Called is over with, justified is over with glorified is over with but you and I know it's not true in our life especially the last one are we glorified no not yet not till we go to be with him but you see this is from God's viewpoint God is telling you that all things work together for your good and it'll end up with you being glorified having a new body with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever that's the promise made to a believer. So that's the whole plan laid out, giving it to you in past tense. Why did I say elect? Well, I was only quoting the Apostle Peter. So look at First Peter 1, verse 2. First Peter, way in the back of the Bible. First Peter 1, verse 2. verse 1 Peter said he's writing to strangers they'd be strangers to the world but not strangers to Christ who are scattered throughout and he names a bunch of places there in Asia and then verse 2 gives them their title elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ he's got all three persons of the Godhead. Uh, God the Father chose them, made them elect. The Holy Spirit uh, sanctified them or set them apart, watches over you, and dwells a believer. And the Lord Jesus Christ sprinkled his blood all over Calvary's cross and on the ground to pay our sin debt. All of them in here. That's Peter's greeting. Uh, And of course, Was it this morning we talked about Peter never being in Rome? That's so interesting to me. Because uh, Peter never mentions Paul except one time when he says some of his writings are hard to understand, but uh, he doesn't give a greeting to Paul anywhere except from Babylon. (laughs) Babylon is so far from Rome... Wherever this church in Babylon that Peter was in, um, I, you, you have to listen to this morning CD or tape. See what I talked about Peter never being in Rome. The Bible gives you all the proof of that. Paul was in Rome. Lots of Christians were in Rome. He even had uh, believers in, in Nero's house, in his household. But uh, that's just another story. I, Okay, so Peter uses the word elect. That's why we can use it too. And then look at Titus 1.1. Titus 1.1, after 2 Timothy. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of who? God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. Now if that word offends somebody think about the place our lord uses certain ones the father gave him uh, or think about the phrase that our lord uses concerning certain ones so the ones said the lord gave that the father gave to the lord jesus are elect sinners and our lord refers to them over and over and over again uh, thanking the father for giving him the, these sinners uh, John 17 verses 2 and 9 John 17 2 and 9 uh, verse uh, page uh, 1588 verse 2 is thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou has given him imagine. Using the the greatest force, the greatest power in the universe belongs to God. And he says he uses it now to give eternal life to those the Father gave him. Is that the main thing? That's the main thing, why he came. To redeem those that were under the law. To give eternal life to those the Father gave him. Now verse 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Boy, is that ever wonderful too. Let's look at John 15, verse 16. John fifteen, sixteen. 16, on page 1586, he says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Hmm, kind of interesting. There are lots of religious people, Protestants, Baptists, you name them. They have chosen Christ. At least they think they have. But our Lord says, I've chosen you. And if you had any will to come to me, it's because I gave you that will. To be offended at the word elect is to be offended at Christ, the elect of the Father, in whom all the church is chosen. Wow, where's that? Look at Isaiah 42, verse 1. Isaiah 42. On page 1080. Very top of the page verse one. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So if the Lord Jesus Christ is chosen by God to be his elect one, we are elected in Christ. We're not just elected because uh, something went on in God's mind. It's elected because the Lord Jesus Christ was to be one of us. And at the same time that God chose the people back in eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be one of them. I will be their surety. So here he's called God's elect. And if you're an elected soul, you're elected in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.4, let's see what that says about election. Ephesians 1.4 on page 1722. It doesn't use the word, but it does say chosen. Huh, okay. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that clear, simple, uh, a sentence? When were we chosen? Before the world was created. Chosen in who? Uh, In Christ. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, the path or way of God begins with our Lord Jesus and ends with our Lord Jesus. Begins and ends. Look at Revelation 1, verse 8. Revelation 1 and verse 8. book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, the first chapter, verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega. Now, to anybody that has never studied a little bit of Greek, you don't know what Alpha and Omega is. But it, in our language, it would be A to Z. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet, and Alpha is the first. Uh. When I was in high school, I belonged to a, a fraternity and they had Greek letters on their sweater. I was in the uh, Sigma Kappa Pi. And uh, it was <laughs> uh, it was just to have two clubs in a high school that would play each other in a different sports and it was a big thing for school. But the Greek alphabet, that's the A to Z, the Lord is saying. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And the Almighty is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He was called God Almighty, Jehovah. And we find that that's one of the titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Almighty some of you, or all of us, will have some time or other had to have contact with Jehovah Witnesses, and they're so blinded, they're so lied to, they have no foundation whatsoever for them to say that only Jehovah is God, and that they are the ones that worship Jehovah, and they keep using that word instead of Lord, because the word Jehovah. In the Old Testament is translated Lord hundreds of times. And uh, there's only one Lord in the New Testament, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who quite a few times says, I am. I am is the great God of the Old Testament that spoke to Moses. When Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me down there? They're going to laugh at me. And he said, well, just tell them I am sent you. So quite a few times the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am. Especially when it went to take him in the Garden of Gethsemane. That is so interesting. Let's see if I can find it real quick in John. Uh, Yeah, it's in John uh, 18. Look at verse 4, it's on page 1589, we're going to read verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Now he's coming out of the garden of Gethsemane, Uh, Judas with the the band of uh, ruffians and soldiers and what have you coming to get him. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am. <laughs> you see the he is in italics. He really didn't say he. He just said, I am. And Judas also, which was which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now there might have been a hundred of them. They all fell to the ground like dying cockroaches because he said, I am the mighty God, and his very presence, the very mentioning of his name, I am. They fell to the ground. He could have killed them, they could have all fell to the ground and died, but he didn't kill anybody. He didn't come in vengeance. He came to bring the gospel to us, to save sinners that the Father gave him. Well, he asked them again, Whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. And if therefore you you seek me, let these go their way. So how interesting. Wow, our time has run out again. Remember that this way of God is hidden from the world, and there are few that find it. Let's go to Matthew 7, verse 14. Matthew 7, 14. Why are we talking about the way? Because David. In the first scripture that we read in Psalm 25, it says, teach me thy way. Uh, I I want to know it. I want to make sure I'm on it. Uh, Verse 4 says, show me thy ways, and teach me thy paths. So the pathway and the way is the same thing, but one is describing our blindness, the other is describing our dumbness. On page 1414, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Okay, he says, look for the straight gate. That's going to be a little narrow gate. But there is a wide gate, and everybody loves it. This is the way, he says, most people go. Wide is the gate, broad the way, that leads to what? Hell. That's what destruction is. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, which means it's a little narrow gate. And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, meaning eternal life. And few there be that find it. Now, if God has opened our understanding, we ought to praise Him and thank Him hour after hour, minute after minute, day after day, all the time for opening our understanding and letting us see that there is a way to eternal life. And that is the, the Lord Jesus Christ is the way. But it's a narrow way. And if you stand up for the Lord Jesus, no matter where it is, they're going to call you Narrow-minded. And just thank the Lord that you are narrow minded to find the narrow way and to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. So that's all we'll have tonight. Just remember the Lord invites sinners, died for sinners. These sinners need to be taught, they need to be shown. And one of the reasons David said, uh, open my heart, show me, teach me, because you are the God of my salvation. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you and praise you for our Lord Jesus. We just thank you for thy word and then giving us an interest in it. And then we know our understanding isn't all that great, but it's great enough that we could see ourselves a needy sinner to come to you for mercy, that thou art a God of mercy and thy mercy extends from earth to heaven, that there's no end to thy mercy, and that you rejoice in giving mercy, that thou art a God of mercy, and we just praise you and thank you for that. So as we dismiss tonight, we pray thy spirit to have taught our hearts, to have given us some precious thoughts about Christ, and that Thou will guide us, lead us, protect us through this coming week. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.